following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Sovereignty just means that God is in control. It's just kind of a big word that means God is in control. And a lot of times, we need to know that God is in control because life seems out of control. Who's with me on this? Anybody with me? Life seems out of control at times, right? I'm kids just starting school. Kids are in soccer. Two international students. Five kids in the house. Life seems a little out of control for me at times. And listen to me while I preach to myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, because life can get out of control. And sometimes things can be overwhelming and, and disappointing in our life when things get out of control. And recently I was disappointed. Now, if you know my family, you know we love Marvel. We love Marvel. And, okay, just say it, call it for what it is, we're nerds. Okay, we're nerds. It's okay. I accept it. I own that right? So there's, I'm going to nerd out for the, the, like the next minute or two, um, so follow me. So I was a little disappointed because Spider-Man left the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Did anybody hear this? Spider-Man is no longer a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I was so disappointed because in the first movie, it was Spider-Man Homecoming. We have the thing, the, yeah, so it's Spider-Man Homecoming. So you, what do you see there? You see Iron Man, like Spider-Man, like it's the homecoming, like he's coming home to where he belongs, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here it is, this like great pair up, and there's this storyline that's being threaded between Iron Man and Spider-Man, right? And so we're all excited, like, man, he's coming home to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But then, in the next movie, there's Spider-Man Far From Home. And I'm thinking maybe at this point, there was like a little bit of, of division between Sony and Disney. And so they were a little bit far from each other. And so Spider-Man kind of ran away, and now he's far from home. And uh, he's, not, he's not having the homecoming anymore. And so, by my powers of pastoral prediction, I have determined what the next movie is going to be called because of the split between Sony and Disney. And it's going to be this, Spider-Man Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to, I'm just telling you, that's what it's going to be. So we all face disappointment in life, whether it's disappointment over things like Spider-Man or whether it's real disappointment, right? Because that's what we're all really facing. That's what we all want to know about. What do I do about the circumstances in my life that are overwhelming and disappointing? What do I do about that? And so I want to look at a passage today in John chapter 11 uh, from two ladies that are experiencing great sense of overwhelming and disappointment because their brother, spoiler alert, dies. And so in John chapter 11, but first let me pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for all that you're doing in this church. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight and you might speak your word to each and every one of us. In your name we pray, amen. So in John chapter 11, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That'll actually happen in the next chapter, John chapter 12. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, expectation. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, let me give you a little context. So, Jesus used to go over to the, you know, Martha, Mary, Lazarus house to have meals. And so, he used to stop by there at times to, and Mary and Martha would make dinner for Jesus and you know, he, they invited him over, and, and there were great friendships, so much so that the, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, could send to Jesus, hey, the one you love is sick, and because he knew it was from Mary and Martha, and because he had such a great friendship with Lazarus, he knew exactly who it was. They didn't have to even say his name. He knew, oh, well, that's Lazarus, because he's the one I love, right? And so, there was this expectation because there's this relationship that's building. And, and if we don't fully believe that Jesus loves these people, then at the very last, in chapter, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved all of these people. And, and sometimes we think, God, you, you love me. And so that brings an expectation. And, and Jesus says, this will not end in his death. But it does end in Lazarus' death later on, which we'll look at. And so we can get this kind of formulaic faith, like, like God loves me, God is able, and so God is going to take, take control of my situation. And, and, that's, and that's how we believe, like that's the kind of faith we get, like, like God loves me, God is able, he's good, and he knows what's going on, he's going to take care of me, he's going to solve all my issues, and so what we would believe is the next verse. This is the next verse. Jesus at once goes to the town and lays his hands on Lazarus and heals him. Everyone rejoices and in amazement say, who is this man that can heal like this? The only problem is that's not the next verse. That's, not, that's the verse we would hope for. That's the verse we would expect. That's the verse we would love to see. But the next verse, verse 6, is actually this. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He stayed. All this expectation building. Jesus loves them. He goes over to their house. He eats with them. Like, Jesus isn't a very good friend. Like, what's going on here? He stayed where he was two more days because last, and when he knew that Lazarus was sick. Was it the fact that the Jesus didn't really love Lazarus? Well, I believe the writer goes out of his way to show that Jesus loves Lazarus. And this is not the only scene where we see Jesus and Lazarus. There's another time where Jesus is going out and hanging him after the, the post-resurrection party. And they're hanging out and, and eating and, hang, and having lounging around. And so we know that Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves these people. Maybe it's that Jesus doesn't know what's going on with Lazarus. Maybe he doesn't really know that he's really sick. But later on in this passage, passage we see that Jesus, that Jesus ends up knowing when, when Lazarus dies. So he knows his condition. So he doesn't have to be there to know how Lazarus is and to know that he is really sick. Well, maybe it's, because it's that Jesus really wasn't able to do anything. Like he was busy and he, he could, just couldn't get there in time. And so he had to stay where he was because he had some things to do. But we know in another passage 
that Jesus actually, a centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus is going to go heal the centurion's servant, and the centurion says, no, 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 you don't need to come to my house, just send the word, and it'll happen. And he has this great faith. And so Jesus sends the word, and the, the centurion's servant is, is healed. So Jesus could, just could have sent a word to Lazarus, and Lazarus would have been healed. So, so what's going on here? Why would Jesus allow for that to happen? See, what happens when we're in an overwhelming and disappointing circumstance in our life and God seems to be absent? God seems to not be showing up. The God who is supposed to be in control, who's supposed to be sovereign, doesn't seem to be showing up in our situation, and our situation only seems to be getting worse. What happens when maybe our friends, and we had this great relationship with our friends, and then our friends moved away, and now we're stuck alone and isolated, and we don't know what we're going to do because our, our best friend left, and we're overwhelmed and we're disappointed. Or, or maybe in our life, we, we, we got this job, and we were really excited about this job, but then in, in the midst of it, our boss became demanding and more demanding and, and the job became more demanding on our life, and we became overwhelmed and disappointed because we thought this was going to be such a great job, and we're asking God, God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up in the midst of this situation? Or maybe we're struggling financially, and we had a dream of doing some amazing things for God, but we're held back by our debt because we are now overwhelmed with debt, and we're disappointed in our lives. What do we do in that situation? What do we do when, when the, it gets real and, and when, uh, when things start happening to the people we love around us and, and health concerns start coming up and relationships start falling apart? What happens in the midst of that when we're overwhelmed and we're disappointed in our lives by what's going on? See, what happens is, is, is that we start to believe that God is absent in our situation. He's not there with us, and our convictions stop matching our condition, and and so we start maybe giving up on our convictions a little because it doesn't seem to make sense of our reality. But Jesus has a response for us this morning that I want to talk with you about. And and, and Jesus, when he, he says to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. He wants to go back to Judea to help out Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the disciples say to him in verse 8, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. In other words, there's a threat because uh, in Ju- it's Judea. It's like the, the county where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is where a lot of the Jewish enemies of Jesus are, a lot of the Jewish opponents, the people that want to kill Jesus. And Bethany, the city where um, Lazarus is and Mary and Martha, is less than two miles away from Jerusalem. So they know there's a threat if Jesus goes back there that people, the Jews could come and they could stone Jesus. So they know there, there's a threat there. Um, so Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is saying there's, there's 12 hours of daylight. In other words, it's limited. There's a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of time for Jesus to work. There's a limited amount of time for the disciples to accept Jesus. 
and, lo- and there's also a set time. In a daytime, there's 12 hours, so you know when things are going to end. Jesus knows the appointed time that he, he is going to die, and he knows that there's nothing that can stop him until he gets to that appointed time. And so Jesus says, I have to be about my purpose because there is nothing that can stop me in my mission if I continue to follow God. And so the disciples have to make a decision. Are they going to continue to walk in the light? And of light, of course, is explained in John chapter 8, chapter 12. Sorry, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's two things found in there, that Jesus is the light, and Jesus has the light. Jesus is the light, but Jesus also has the light for us to light up our path so we can see. So Jesus has those two things. And so I want to do something really quick, and so I'm going to need a volunteer to come up with me. Anybody, anybody? Principal might have to choose. Okay, Jacob, come on. Thanks, man. Let's give him a round hand. Awesome. All right, Jacob. So let's do dim lights. There you go. Turn the other way. Turn the other way. Turn around. Okay, so you can kind of see me right now, and I've got this little flashlight on, on me. So most of us, I would say, you know, sometimes when we're overwhelmed and we're disappointed, we're walking in the dark. We don't know the way we're supposed to go. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And and we try to figure it out, and we kind of have our little light like this, where we're trying to figure it out. You know, we've got a little portion of the truth, a little piece, and we kind of are trying to figure it out. But, But God is over there, and he's got a much bigger light, Jacob representing God. You like that, Jacob? You're representing God today. Um, so, so he's got a bigger light, right? And, and I'm, I'm maybe turned this way, trying to figure out what to do in this overwhelming and disappointing situation. And I've got my back turned to God because the first instinct most of us have when faced with an overwhelming and disappointing situation is that we want to figure out what to do ourselves. We want to figure out, okay, what do I do? Oftentimes, it's the wrong question. What do I do? It's focused on me. And if, then I'm focused, focused on my limited resources. I'm focused on my limited experience. I'm focused on my limited knowledge. So I'm trying to figure everything out myself. And what I don't see, if I would just turn around, I would see that God is there and that he is the light and that Jesus is the light and that he has the light to be able to illuminate my path to show me the next right steps that I need to take. Amen? Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate it. All right, let's put the lights on. Get around. So, so anyways, turn off my light here. Um, that's, what he, that's, what, that's what Jesus is talking, is talking about. He's saying when people, they try to walk around in the dark because they have no light. Who is the light? The light is Jesus. When we have a light, when we focus on, on God as the light, then we can begin to illuminate our path. What are the next right things that we're supposed to do? And so the, the verse goes on, and, and I'm going to kind of fly through some of these next verses. Um, in verse 11, it says, After he had sa- said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now let's have some fun. His disciples re- replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. A little bit dramatic, Didymus. Trying to like, we're going to die with him. Dramatic Didymus. Um, So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's an important point we'll get to later. Um, Skipping down a couple verses. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And I bet she did. I bet she had her hands on her hips. I bet she was pointing at him. I bet she raised her voice. I bet she yelled a little bit. And here's what Martha said. Lord, if you'd have been there, my brother would not have died. And I think so many of us can resonate with that. Lord, if you'd have been there, I wouldn't have been through that debt. Lord, if you'd have been there, my father wouldn't have died. Lord, if you'd have been there, I wouldn't have gone through those tough times in my life. Lord, where were you in the midst of my overwhelming and disappointing situation? See, maybe she said this. She's like, Jesus, glad you could finally make it. Thought you'd stroll in now, huh? Now that he's dead. Well, you sure did come fast when we invited you for a meal. What brought you so much here now? So... She's, she's upset. Martha is bitter. And that's the place so many of us find ourselves at when we're disappointed and overwhelmed. We find ourselves bitter because there was something that we wanted and something we were grasping a hold of to try to get, but it didn't materialize for us. And so we're bitter because we don't have the present circumstances that we want. And that's where Martha is finding herself. And, and so... God, if you'd have been there, I wouldn't have been fired. God, if you would have been there, I wouldn't have lost my dad. So what do you do when the God of life seems to let your hopes die? Well, Jesus has a response for this. He says in verse 22, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I would pray that people would have some even now kind of faith. Even now God will give you whatever you ask. God, even in the midst of my divorce, even in the midst of my despair, even in the midst of my depression, even in the midst of me experiencing the death of a loved one, even now, God, you are here. You are here, God, even now. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so now she's, she's taking her bitterness and Jesus is trying to speak hope into her life. And instead of experiencing hope, she's deferring her hope to an abstract future. The Jews believed that in the last day, at the end of history, everybody would rise and God would judge the living and the dead. And, and he would, would send some people to be with him for eternal life and others to not. And in that, that's what she was saying. Well, you know, I'll, I know I'll see him someday. And that's where we can kind of end up sometimes. We have kind of a someday kind of hope. Like, someday I'll be financially free. Or someday I'll meet my, my, the, the, the man or the woman of my, of my dreams. Or, or someday I'll really get that job. Or someday I'll take a vacation, right? Someday kind of hope. But really, it's no hope at all. Because we say tomorrow, but tomorrow always becomes tomorrow. And tomorrow is never today. And so it's a hope that's always deferred to an abstract future, and that hope like that is no hope at all. It's not a real hope. And so Jesus is speaking to her because 
when we live in that kind of situation with a someday kind of hope and we're living in bitterness, then that then we happens in Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, hope deferred, like what she's doing, is making her heart sick and bitter. And in our disappointment, we can become bitter and we can defer our hope. And we can live like people with no hope, who, living like God has abandoned us. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, Jesus is speaking to her. Martha, you're looking for your hope in your situation. And you're looking for your hope for your brother to rise again. And you're looking forward to someday when you're going to see him in the future. But, but Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and, your, and the life? You see, hope is not found in a situation. Hope is found in the Savior. And so would you look to me, Martha, in the midst of your difficult depression, in the midst of your difficult times, that I will raise you up, that I will be the one as the resurrection. In other words, I have your death. So in whatever future may happen, Martha, I am the resurrection. But also, Martha, I am the life. So whatever trouble you're facing, I am the one that will help you in the midst of that trouble. You see, we need to realize that as we walk in the light, given us. That's the title of my talk, to walk in the light given me. But the first thing we need to do is to walk in the light of his presence, that we need to walk in the light of Jesus's presence. We need to know that he's here, that he's working, and that he's doing something good for our benefit. That's the first thing we need to to say, is if we're going to walk in the light given me, just like, like Jacob was up here and, and we were going to, we turned away, but then we turned around to follow God because God is the guide. God is the guide. We are followers of Jesus. So in other words, we've got to follow him. We've got to turn around and follow him. So if he's the guide, then he's the one that we've got to follow. And, and if we know, so the first thing we've got to do, God, where are you? Where are you in this situation? And God, where are, you, where are you working? What are you doing, God, in the midst of this situation? And so we, we, might, see, we might look for signs of God's work. So maybe one thing that, that might happen is, is we look for, um, for God working through a person that he puts in our life. Maybe there's a godly person that he put in your life. And so he wants to work through that person. And so we look for the signs. And so we, we push into a relationship with that person to see God work in our life more. Or, or maybe God is gonna, wants to work through a pathway that he's opening in our life. And so we, we see there's a, a, something, a little something starting. There's this little opportunity. And so we want to push in to that opportunity through prayer and wisdom and counsel. And so we, we push into that little opportunity to see God work, and, and maybe it's been something we've been putting off, but maybe it's something in our heart, which me, leads me to my last P, to, maybe it's a passion. God has put a passion in your heart for a unique purpose, and maybe you think that's something everybody is called to do, but maybe he's put it there because he's calling you to do something. So we see the signs through a passion, a, a person, or a pathway God is opening in our lives. So what are the, th- the, the ways that God is working in your life right now? Because what we know 
is that as the Bible says, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. In other words, he's ever-present because his presence is there with you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is with you. So his presence is with you. And he is not a God to just give up. Oh, like, well, you're too far gone. I guess have fun, figure it out yourself. But that's sometimes how we live. God is with us and he's working. God is not like Superman. He doesn't just swoop in, save you and leave. He's always with you. So we need to say, Jesus, you're here working. How do I find the one who is the light? See, just like Jacob, Jacob can't be the light because Jacob is Jacob. He's not God. But God is light. But God also has light, like I said. Um, and, and so in, in, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So the verse continues. It says, Lord, if you'd have been there. So, sorry. Martha leaves and, and goes and gets Mary. And then Mary says the same thing to Jesus. She says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And again, skipping down a little bit. Jesus kind of sees this and he gets emotional. And he says in verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then here's the shortest verse in the Bible. Verse 35, Jesus wept. But I think it's such a powerful verse because it shows that Jesus had emotions. Jesus struggled. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He struggles with all the same feelings of disappointment, feelings of of doubt that you and I did with. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never sinned. But Jesus still struggled with all of the same emotions that you and I struggle with. So Jesus wept. So then the Jews, some of the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, Jesus was sad. Did Jesus need encouragement? Yes, Jesus needed encouragement. It was okay. And he had some Jews there who encouraged him. See how he loved them? He had the compassionate Jews. But then he also had the critical Jews. And those were the ones that say, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have saved this man? Like, what's wrong with you, Jesus? What kind of Messiah do you think you are? What, what, what are you doing? And, and we all have a little bit of both in our lives. We have the critics and the compassionate people. And, and maybe sometimes life gets a little out of balance and we get too many critics in our life. And there's too many critics around us telling us what we're not and constantly insulting us and threatening us and saying, hey, you're not this, you can't do this, you're not this. And what we need in our life is we need a team. We need a team to face up to the challenges of life. And we need a team to be there with us. Do you have a team? And what I mean by a team is is we have something called groups, small groups. And you can sign up for a group today. Groups provide advice, belonging, and care. They provide advice, belonging, and care. They provide advice in the sense that they, they, when you're going through a tough time, just figure, if we got a bunch of people up here with flashlights, right, that would brighten up the whole stage up here. That's what you can have. It can, you can have not only God, but also people to come help illuminate your path. As God works through people, they can provide you advice as to where to go in life. And when you kind of stray off the wrong path, start going off the wrong path, then they can kind of 
hold you accountable and bring you back and guide you into the right path. They provide belonging. They provide you a chance to do life together and to play games and to have fun and to have a shoulder to cry on and somebody there to, to vent to when you go through a bad day. And groups provide care. They provide meals for you when you're in the hospital. They provide a chance to help, to help move when you need to move. You see, groups are the life that we need that Andrew was talking about. And so we need to have groups around us. And so you have a chance to sign up for a group today. And so we need to walk in the light of his passion. And the way we do that by walking in the light of his passion is by walking in the light of his people. That he would have people around us that can speak into our lives and speak in to the light that God has put in them. And then in verse um, 38, going down, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. So I said we'd get back to the four days. In four days, in, in Jewish custom, if you were dead four days, then you were really dead. If you were dead, you know, one, two days, maybe you could come back to life. But once you were dead four days, like you were really gone. And so Lazarus has been dead four days, and that's when they think like the person starts to stink, they're decomposing, like we don't want to go near them. And so Jesus is telling these people, hey, take away the stone. Take this simple step, but take this simple, simple step believing that God can do a miracle. You see, some, it was a difficult thing to take away the stone, but it was an impossible thing for them to raise Lazarus. But that was their hope. That's what they wanted. You see, if we'll do the difficult, God will do the impossible. But if we don't do the difficult, God will sometimes block God from doing the impossible. Sometimes, put another way, we need to do the ridiculous to experience the miraculous. That God wants to work in our life, but a lot of times it just requires that we take the next right step, even as difficult as it may be for us to do. That God wants to work because he wants us to walk in the light of his path. You said, I said that Jesus is light, but also Jesus has light. You see, if I was to come up and walk alongside and I'm following God, and God's got the light in the darkness of my confusion, in the darkness of my ignorance, then as I'm following God, he has a light, and he only lights up the next few steps for me because he wants me to trust him along the path. If he lightened up the whole path, I would run ahead, and I would run ahead without him, and then I would get lost because I would get in over my head, and I wouldn't be able to do it. And so God lights up the path, just the next few steps in front of us. And so, so many people tell you, dream big, dream big, dream big. What I'm going to tell you today, dream small. Dream small. Make your dreams small. And what I mean by that is, so often times in our life, when faced with overwhelming and disappointing circumstances, we can, like when I walk into a messy house, I see everything messy all at once, and I do nothing. And that's what ends up happening when we face overwhelming circumstances is we become so overwhelmed that we don't do anything because we're just living in a state of being overwhelmed. And so what we have to do is we have to dream small. God, what are my priorities? Who am I in you? And then what's the next right step to take? So if you're dealing with a lot of different issues in a lot of different areas of your life, what's the most important issue? I would say the first most important thing is your health. 
If your health is a concern, focus on that. If it's your family that's a concern, focus on that. I would say usually it's like my relationship with God, me, my family, and then my kids. You know, we all have priorities in our life. And those priorities help us to dictate what we're supposed to do. And so just to get very practical in your life, you've got to start focusing on the next right step. And what you find is as you focus on the most important thing in your life and you just start taking steps, you'll find you'll get one thing done and then the next thing done. And then you'll start believing and having more confidence and you'll start continuing to walk and seeing God work in your life because as you take a step forward following him in faith, he continues to work in your life because you believe in him and you trust him. And so finally, we find that these people, they they come and they roll the stone away. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says that it's a good thing he said, the, he said Lazarus' name. Otherwise, he would have emptied the whole graveyard. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Take off all of the things that represent that you were dead and, and, and be free. See, we need to take off all of the things that belong to the dead life that are holding us back when we're overwhelmed and disappointed. We need to take off bitterness. We need to take off unforgiveness. We need to take off all of our depression. We need to take off all of our re- resentment. We need to take off those things that are holding us back from living a free life in Jesus that we would be able to walk forward in all freedom knowing that God is with us and that if we would walk in the light of his presence and walk in the light of his passion and his people and walk in the light of his path, he would lead us towards freedom and he'd lead us toward his provision that he would be there for us to help us to be the person that he has called and created us to be, that we might live out his purpose and live, see the abundant life that God has for us. This is what we've got to do. We've got to be able to believe, God, you are here. I believe that you're here. God, I believe that you're with me. God, I believe that you're working. Let, now I'm going to start looking for signs of your presence. And God, I'm going to have people around me that are going to encourage me and support me. And God, I'm going to just keep taking the next right step, step according to the priorities that you've set in my life. And then believe, I'm going to let the outcome be to you, God. I believe that you're going to do it. I hope that you're at that place right now where you can accept Jesus, where you can say, God, you're working. You're working in my life. I'm going to keep walking because you're working in my life, Jesus. I believe in you. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you right now and just pray that God would work in the midst of your circumstances, whatever overwhelming circumstances you have. Um, And I'm gonna be up here for a little bit, just here to pray with anybody that would come forward. And if if you want, I'd love to pray over you for your specific situation and for God's guidance in that situation. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you're doing in this church, Lord. I thank you for um, the people here today. I pray, God, that your spirit would move in their lives, that you'd see more people walking in freedom, 
because we took off the, the grave clothes of all the dead things that held us back from before. God, we began to walk in the light given us. That we began to walk in the light of your presence, your, your path, and in your purpose, God, and your people. God, help us to have people come around us that can support us. Help us to let people in to our lives, Jesus, that we might experience your grace in a tangible way. God, for those people who have yet to accept you, I pray, Lord, that you would really touch their hearts and that you, they would open up and maybe they'd even have the courage to write down their connection card or even come forward to receive prayer that, they might, that you might be able to see them come into, their, into your kingdom, God. God, it's as simple as saying yes. Lord, I pray that you would continue to provide for people. In your precious name we pray, amen.